Welcome into the Lower View Podcast. My name is Jason Schertz, and on today's show, we talk baseball. More specifically, Cubs baseball. This will be the first of two baseball preseason specials that we have. Derek's joining us today, and later on, we will talk to Arkin about the White Sox and how that looks. That, and we'll get this party started. So strap it in, case here we go. Well, Derek, it's about that time. Are you? What are you looking forward most to when it comes to baseball? Opening day. Fans getting in the ballpark. I know some ballparks like Texas are going to have everybody in there, but uh, just some 20, 25% for the Chicago teams. So get some fans in there, and hopefully as the season goes on, we get even more fans. But seeing baseball with fans in the stands and, and the sun shining, and then, I mean, I'm watching spring training right now, and I love it. It's just, it's so satisfying more than anything. I mean, hell, I got my vaccine today, so two, three weeks, we'll be ready to go, and maybe we can go catch a game or something. But uh, we're talking Cubs because we're a Cubs-centric podcast, and you might as well lead with the team you root for the most. Derek, what are your what are your takeaways for this season? Well, I, I think the Cubs, a lot, I hear a lot of experts, you know, knocking the Cubs down and, you know, all that they lost, they, you know, they gave up you Darvish and let Schwarber go and they didn't resign John Lester. I'll tell you what, I, now I'm not going to say they're as good without Darvish as they were with Darvish because, you know, he was good. But remember, he only faced the central teams last year and we saw what happened to all the central teams in the playoffs. They were gone in a heartbeat. All of them. So, but you get Zach Davies. Zach Davies is a pretty good pitcher. You might remember with the Brewers and then with the Padres, he did very well there. So, yeah, you don't have the top of the, the lineup. But the Cubs pitching staff, they will not blow the ball by you, at least the starters will. But they will not allow you to hit the ball hard. That is what you will get out of Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies. Um, I know Zach or Mills did not make it into the rotation. But he's another one of those that pitches the weak contact. And then um, you lost Lester, but you have Arietta. And I think Arietta's a little bit of an upgrade from Lester. I love Lester and his competitive attitude. But Arietta, I mean, how more competitive can you get than him? And then Schwarber, losing Schwarber. Jack Peterson, who's been on a tear this spring, is showing is trying to show that he can be an everyday player. And the Dodgers were kind of holding them back, and the Cubs were giving them that opportunity at a great price. And, you know, that's one thing that we talked a little bit about with the NBA. You get a, you get a free shot when you get traded. When you, when you sign a free agent contract, I feel like there has to be some part of you that says, this is my shot, it's a clean slate, and I want to be here. I wasn't drafted here. I haven't been in the system for 10 years. You know, this is my first opportunity to do what I want and take control of my, I guess, life and career. Because before that, you get drafted and traded and whatnot. But, I mean, Jack Peterson, I've always liked him. And if we're going one for one, I would take Jack Peterson over Kyle Schwarber in left field. I can't believe I'm saying that. But if you look at the style and you look at just the base player, if you took the names away... And you and you put their their stat line side by side. I'd take Jack Peterson at this point. Am I nuts? 
No, you are not. Uh, offensively, their numbers are very, very similar. Uh, the difference is Peterson's a left-handed hitter and Schwarber a right-handed hitter. You'll get more out of Peterson in that lefty-righty matchup than you would get out of Schwarber in the righty-lefty because there just aren't as many left-handed pitchers. So you'll do better there. And then defensively, Peterson, and I've been a, I, I've always said that Schwarber gets bashed too much defensively, but he's not an all-star defensive outfielder. Jack Peterson is definitely an upgrade in the outfield defensively. So I, I think that was a good, and they got Peterson for the same or maybe even a little less than they would have kept Schwarber for. And that's the thing is like, people want to keep names around, but you got to keep in mind there's a price tag and, one thing we didn't talk pre-show, but something I want to get into a little later down the line here is the fact that the Cubs, their net worth is like $4 billion or something like that. But we'll get into that. My point being, money's still money, and you don't want to pay a guy for not what he's worth. And for those people that bash Schwarber, and I'm not one of those because I thought he did a damn good job going from a DH to a catcher to a left fielder. He is... Like, I haven't checked his left field war, but he has to be right at average when it comes to his defensive usage, I guess. So, I mean, I'm not too mad about that. The next thing I really kind of want to work through here is the Rizzo shutting down contract extensions, and he on they only offered him seven, was it five for 70 or something like that? Five years for seventy thousand is what I'm hearing, or seventy million, not seventy million. Thank yeah. you. You know, those those are those lowly ones. We think in the thousands. They think in the millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you think about that contract offer? I know it's an opening offer. Your opening offer is not your final offer, but you don't want to insult a guy that was a foundational piece of this version of your franchise. I mean, am I to am I a little bit of a Rizzo homer to say you got to respect the dude a little more than what you just did because that was I'd almost be disrespected. I know the Braves did it to a to Acuna last year, was it? And he got absolutely screwed in that deal. But I mean, you got to respect the guy a little bit. I mean, where are you at on that? Well, I, yeah, when at first when I heard it, I heard it was seventy million. But I didn't hear the years, and I'm thinking, well, you know, if that's three years, you know, that's a good deal per year. If it's four years for the Cubs, it's a great deal for Rizzo, not quite so much. Then when I heard that it was five years, it's like, what are they doing? I mean, that's that's not, um, you know, right in the area there or anything. Yeah, that's not that's um, not even that, in the ballpark. Yeah, that, that's not here. The, the, the one to compare them to is Paul Goldschmidt. Because yeah. number-wise, you talked about putting stat lines together with uh, Schwarber and um, Peterson. You do that with Goldschmidt and Rizzo, and they're pretty very similar. Well, Goldschmidt just signed with the Cardinals, what, a year ago or so? He, he re-upped with them. Yeah. And that for, I believe it was five years for $130 million. And Rizzo is now at the age that Goldschmidt was when he signed that contract. Numbers at that same, you know, at those comparative times are relatively the same. You know Rizzo's going to give you a little bit of a hometown discount because he said how much he wanted to live here yeah. in Chicago. So, I mean, I would think if you want to lowball him a little bit, 
Go five years, a hundred million. That's it. That ballpark. That's you know, get it. Don't go ninety-nine million. Get at least two hundred million because now you can say nine-figure and you know a little pride there and everything else. You can give them that. Just you know, do that. You know, and then if he says, well, you know, I want one, and okay, so let's go one hundred three. You know, or or somewhere in there and and go back and forth. But twenty million a year for five years for a top of the line first baseman is not. I mean, I realize those of us who make, you know, pittance here, that's a lot of money. But for a top-of-the-line first baseman, that is not a lot of money. And five years down the road, that's really not going to be a lot of money. No, it's not. And, I mean, Rizzo said there was a gap, and there was still a gap. And I wonder if he shut it down because he he said a soft deadline of opening day when this whole thing started – but then yesterday he shut it down entirely until after the season. Is he betting on himself to just go out and mash taters and make just ridiculous plays to then come back to him to them and say, "Okay, now pay me." Like is that? I, but I don't see him as that sort of a petty dude. Do you? I mean. No, I, I don't see him that way as, as petty or anything. What, what I did see as the quote was that he told his agents not to talk to him about it again. And if that's, if that's what it was, I think what he probably told his agents beyond that was, you know what I want. Don't bring anything back to me until it's at that spot. And then you can bring it to me. And other than that, I don't want to hear anything about it. So I have the feeling that his agent and the Cubs are probably still going to be talking. They're just not going to involve Rizzo in it until they're, until his agents say, hey, okay, this is one you want to look at because I think this one you'll sign up. This is, this is close enough to the number. Work on it a little bit. And, you know, if it's a signing bonus here, a signing bonus there, yeah, that makes sense. And, I mean, as a professional athlete, I am – Hell, I'm not even a, an athlete, but as as someone who has the the competitive mindset of that, when I'm in full competition mode, it's the only thing I want to do and think about and care about, and I really don't give a shit about the other businesses, right? I mean, so that's what I that's what that's what I pay you to do is to find me good deals. So uh, I'm going to tell you, probably 90%, 95% of professional athletes, when they walk between the lines, they're not thinking about their contracts. They're not thinking about any of that. And if they are, I don't want them on my team. Yeah. So when they're between the lines, they're focused on that game. They're focused on doing the best they can. The only time I see uh, um, one, two, I still want on my team, are let's go back to Jason Hayward when he first you know, got his deal with the Cubs. The only reason he was thinking about his contract is he was putting pressure on himself to do better. Yeah. And that, and he struggled early on, and I think he's coming around now. He said, hey, I'm going to be who I am, and I think that's going to really help the Cubs this year. I think Bryant said, you know, the same thing, like, I really don't care anymore. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to play the game. I'm going to have some fun. And that's the type of Chris Bryant we want. I think Rizzo's going to be that way. And if you get those three guys being that way, they're going to talk Baez and – um Contreras and the others to start to be that way also. And you can see a Cubs team that really just takes off. 
because Peterson, you talked about him. You know, he gets that new contract. He's where he wants to be. It's a one-year contract. He's proven. He's playing. He's gambling on himself for next year. Yeah. So, I mean, it's everything's ripe for a FU sort of run here to the experts, so to speak. And I don't claim to be an expert. I'm just a fan who wants to get paid to do this one day to talk about it. But, um, but either way, I think it's fair to say that they just don't give a shit anymore. They want to go play. And that's the kind of attitude you want that you talk about people who guys who let their personal lives get in the way. The two that really come to mind since we're talking Cubs, Ben Zobris when he got divorced and Addison Russell when he was kind of a POS human, but that's another story for another day. Those are the only two other things in recent memory that you could really tell their personal lives affected their play outside of Hayward putting pressure on himself, but that happens in athletics. So, I mean, either way, that's that's not a big deal. I think it's just a fun storyline to keep, it, keep an eye on as we have the radio turned on and wait for things to come across the wire. Let's talk lineups. Bodie is your is your everyday. How do you see that shaking out? I think he's I think he's your everyday second baseman. Um, I don't think Sogard will be. I mean, Sogard will Sogard will get some playing time. He'll fill in for Bodie at second a little bit. He'll give Brian a day off at third. He might even allow Brian to slide into the outfield once in a while. Um, Sogard can actually also play a little bit of shortstop. So you know you've got him covered, and he'll get enough games that way. But I really like a team, you know, back when I was growing up, the lineup was the same every day, you know, five or six times a week. Um, you know, you go back to the 84 Cubs and you had Jody Davis catching. You had Lee Don Durham at first. You had Samberg at second. Bowen short, say at third. Uh, Moreland at Matthews and Vernier in the outfield. And yeah. that was your everyday lineup. And they played that way. And then you had your, you know, your special Pinch hitters coming off the bench, or Richie Hebner, or Thad Bosley, players like that. And that, I think, is where Duffy comes in, that he's going to be the one who doesn't have to be out on the field getting playing time. He's going to be a specialized pinch hitter type guy who can fill in for Rizzo maybe five or ten games in a year, fill in for Brian over at third, you know, maybe five, ten games, and yeah. that's it for Duffy. So Sogard's going to be the one picking up all those uh, innings in the field where Duffy doesn't have to, and Bodie's going to be, you know, I, I'd expect him to play 120, 130 games at second base. I would, I would, that's what I was going to say. I was going to set it about 100, 115 games as the over under, and I'm, I'm taking the over, but where's that put Nico as for his career? Does he stay down? Is it a service time deal, or is it just purely a roster spot situation? Almost guarantee it's a roster spot situation. As good as Horner was at the start of preseason, he kind of slowed down a little bit, although he had a home run yesterday to say, hey, here I am. But, but Bodie's been having just as good in the preseason. I think Bodie has earned that spot. And then here's the thing. If Bodie's going to be your everyday second baseman, play your 120 games, whatever, at second base, what do you do with Nico Horner? He is too good to be riding the bench. So let's get him down there. And keep this in mind. Horner has maybe 30 more minor league games than he has games in the majors in his career. I mean, he 
he was ne never played above double A. He was sitting on his couch in 2019, double A season over. When Baez got hurt, he got the call to come up to the majors, and he's been here ever since. But there's still things he needs to work on in his game, especially his hitting. He can do here in April in the, you know, uh, off-site, and then in May, get him some games. And maybe, you know, see how things are doing, how everybody's progressing. If you do have somebody struggling, then come June, you bring them up. The only way anybody will be able to argue that it was a, a time thing is if right after 36 days they call them up and there's not an injury or somebody who's hitting, you know, 090 or something like that. The more I think about it, it's a it's a spacing issue, and there's gonna be there's gonna be guys that there will be injuries. We we don't like to think about it because it's part of the game, and somebody will get hurt. That's why you saw was it Lorenzo Cain signed a minor league deal to stick around, um, but not Lorenzo. Not who am I thinking? Cameron Maben. Cameron Maben. Um, he did that. There are guys. Um, let's talk bullpen a little bit. There is a lot of reclamation projects, and will the closing situation be real, and will we see the sideways hat of Pedro Strope before, say, the end of May? I, I think we will see Pedro Strope probably before the end of May, because I think you're going to see a little bit of a shuttle bus going back and forth between uh, Iowa and Chicago with the bullpen, and you see that with every major league team. There are very few major league teams that play bullpen that that's what it's good what they have today is going to be what it looks like come October. There's going to be a lot of shuffling, finding those hot arms, you know, using them, especially since we're going from a 60-game season to a 162-game season. These starters are not going to be eating up innings like they have in the past. they got to stay healthy. So you're going to see those bullpens used a lot more during the season to try and help those starters get through and and be healthy. So you you know, the Cubs, I, I didn't see the number. Is it 13 pitchers and 13 hitters that they have Something uh, like that. lining up? I believe is what they were shooting for. I know they talked about 14 pitchers and 12 hitters, depending upon what was going on. And that 14 pitchers is exactly so you have an extra arm in the bullpen to keep that. And don't be surprised if the Cubs don't go that way at some point this season. You know, maybe have Alec Mills do a, do a spot start and have a six-man rotation a couple times through just to take some pressure off the arms, which means you're going to use that bullpen a little more. And that makes the most sense. Um, is Craig Kimbrell just kind of riding out at the end of his career, or can he make a comeback? I think Craig Kimbrell can make a comeback. Um, we saw it towards, towards the end of last season. We saw him starting to, to ramp it up there in 2020. Remember, he has not pitched a full season, meaning spring training through October, for over two seasons now. So it takes a little bit longer, that time off, it takes a little bit longer to get going. And we saw him start to get going last uh, end of September. I think that we have a chance to see him get going a lot earlier this year, especially since some of the things he struggled with this spring are the same things he struggled with and they figured out how to correct it last fall that they just know they got to go through the process and get him going. And that's completely fair. Over under 86, or 86 wins were right at, I guess that would be right at 500. I'm not a math guy. But, well, 81 and 81 is 500. Okay, so five games over, five games over, end of the season, or where do you sit with that? 
Well, 86, 76. That's, you picked a good number for a betting line because that's about where I'm at on that. It really depends a little bit on their competition and how they're playing also. You know, how are the Cardinals going to do? How are the Brewers going to do? Cardinals are playing well. And, and, the, and the Reds maybe too, although the Reds went for it last year and, and now they lost Trevor Bauer and, and a few others. Um, if they play well, it, we're going to be looking at a team at 84, 85 wins winning that division because they're just going to beat up on each other. However, if those teams struggle and the Cubs do what I think they're very capable of doing, over 86 is definitely a possibility. I would love to see it. I just, I don't know. It's, there's just so many unknowns. And Trevor Williams is your fifth starter. I mean, we didn't talk about that. I mean, that's, is that a reclamation project? What is that? Yes, it's a reclamation project. But, you know, the starting rotation, and um, I think Williams is actually slotted as the four starter because you have Hendricks, Arietta, followed by Davies, then Williams, and then Azalei as the number five. Um, to me, Azalei is kind of the biggest question mark, and that is because of his inexperience. Hendricks, um, I heard some guys talking the other day about who the who the NL Central MV, or Cy Young Award winner would be if it was just given to somebody from the division. They didn't even have Hendricks in the discussion. It's like, what are you talking about? This guy's incredible. Just because he doesn't throw 98 miles an hour doesn't mean he's not a great pitcher, and we've seen him. In tough situations, do very well. Arietta is such a competitor. He's, he's going to be there. He may have an off day here and there, but he's going to be there. Zach Davies, he's of Kyle Hendricks style, and he's going to blossom with Kyle Hendricks there to talk to him and, and teach him. And they're not pitching back-to-back days. So when Arietta pitches, Davies and Hendricks can sit next to each other and talk about, okay, here's how he's working it. Here's how you're going to work it do all that. Trevor Williams is a good pitcher when he's healthy, and that's the biggest key for Williams is his health. And then Azulai is just getting him the experience. We saw last year some of the promise that he has. And we've always thought that Azulai had potential to be a badass, and I think maybe this year he could show that off a little bit. Sitting right now on a Tuesday afternoon, what do the Cubs need to get in a trade at the trade deadline in order to make a deep run? Probably bullpen help is going to be what they're going to need down the road. And that's what every team's going to need down the road. Um, the Cubs have depth at starting pitching. If you think about it, the pitcher who pitched the best game last year, he didn't even make your rotation. That's Alec Mills with that no-hitter that he threw. So you you got some depth there. Your bullpen, every team's going to be struggling there. But you go around the field for the Cubs, you know, if Peterson, the way he's been playing this spring, he's an everyday left fielder for you. You got um, in the center field with half, you got Hayward in right, you're pretty set there. You're set at third, you're set at short. Uh, Bodie at second, and if he struggles, you got Horner coming up at second. Rizzo at first, Contreras behind the plate. Maybe a backup catcher, Romine, hopefully he gets healthy and will be able to fill that role. But, you know, that. So you're going to go in bullpen and then wherever injuries hit. Those are the, the two things that you're going to need. So why is the national media hating on the Cubs so much? Because Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and Hayward and Hap at the end of last season 
they've all had their struggles. They've all had their offensive struggles since 2017 or so. In 2016, they won the World Series. 2017, they still had a pretty good season. Um, and then they had their struggles after that offensively, whatever. Baez, 2019, had a great season, but he struggled some last year. A lot of that, I'm going to go to the video replay that they couldn't do that during games, which they are now allowing them to do again. Thanks, Astros. I, I think the Cubs are just, they've been through it now. They've won the World Series. They went through the, the winner's hangover, so to speak. There are enough years beyond it now. And they, I think they realize this may be their last chance. And as we said earlier, they really don't care the Cubs as a team, but they care about their teammates as a team. And they are ready to go out and do everything they can for the guys they play with. The, they don't care about the franchise. That, I think that's what you were going yes, for there. Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, let's dig in a little bit and let's... Let's pick apart the Cubs as an organization because it's fun. Actually, I have two frogs to this. The Cubs are valued at just over $4 billion, and they're acting like money's a big deal. What, where's the crux of, why is that such an issue? Well, I actually heard earlier this morning that every club in Major League Baseball value at this time last year to this time this year, every single one has gone up except for one, and that one stayed even. That's the Rays, who made the World Series, by the way. Um, Cubs went up, I believe it was 4% from last year, so that got easier to your roughly $4 billion. The reason they're, they're crying poor, so to speak, is they've been taking their money and investing it in the things around the ballpark. You know, the hotel there, the uh, Gallagher's Way, all of, all of that stuff they've been investing there. So they are cash poor. They are not value poor. They are cash poor. And they were counting when they started to go in to do all these things that their stadium was going to be packed. And it would have been if it hadn't been for COVID. So they're trying to figure out here as fans come back what their numbers are. We heard in the offseason uh, at one point, when Lester walked in with basically a blank contract, they said, you know, we really don't have any money to spend at all. And then two, three weeks later, after Lester had signed already, they said, oh, we've got a little bit of more money. And that's when they, you know, went and got Peterson and Arietta and that. But they found out they're going to get some fans in the stands. You know, 20, 25% here to start the season. Things go well. More fans come in. I think those pocketbooks start to open up. So, so that's the reason why you hear the Cubs say, well, you know, uh, the Ricketts and all that. Well, you know, financially we need to be. And then the other side of that is the salary cap. The Cubs have been over the salary cap, I believe, two years in a row. And the penalty for the third year in a row is not just financial. It's also draft picks and other other hits along there. So we're starting to hit your personnel, not just your pocketbook. Yeah. You do not want to get into that three years in a row. So they're trying to finagle so they can get under it. So if they need to, they can go back over it again for a year or two, and then they'll have to get back under. And they really need to either start figuring out how to do the salary cap and stay within it, or rules need to change about salary cap. And that's all going to change anyway next year with uh, the collective bargaining agreement that hopefully we get a full season next year. Honestly, I don't think the salary cap's here to stay because everybody's bitching about money. Is that fair to say that the... The salary cap might change 
and the service time might change in the next collective bargaining agreement? What do you see changing? Um, I think the service time will definitely be talked about, especially with what happened with Bryant, um, with the former uh, front office member of the Mariners talking and, and saying how they manipulated it there in Seattle, and uh, that all got out and everything else. That was I, stupid, I by the way. Gonna be definitely going to be on the uh, table by the players. Um, I think some of the rules like uh, DH throughout both leagues, um, having that will be on the table. They'll be talking about expanded playoffs and obviously the money share. And the, can we also talk about Manfred's just conquest to speed up the game, which I don't believe needs to be sped up at all? The the whole three batter minimum bullshit. Can we? Is that? Can it, am I just too deep in my Manfred angst? To or is that real? The three batter matchup matchup baseball is a bygone era. Am I? Is that too much to say with that? Well, if they if they keep the three man uh, banner rule, yeah, is is gone, which is going to kill left-handers. I can't believe the players' union would allow something like that. I have a feeling that they might, you know, talk about that in the collective bargaining agreement and say, hey, that rule needs to go, or or adjust it. Here's a thought. How about three batter minimum, except for the ninth inning and later? Give me... In the ninth inning, that rule goes away, and now you can match up in the ninth inning. I would say eighth and ninth. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that it has to be denied. Yeah. But, you know, open it up a little bit that early in the game you have to do that. But at a certain point, whatever you want to pick, eighth, ninth, whatever, now you can go to matchup baseball. And runner on second, stupid, yes? Um, in a regular season, maybe okay. Postseason, definitely not. The reason for the regular season, especially this season again, coming off a 60-game season, going to 162-game season, the wear and tear on the arms, them basically, you know, not throwing 200 innings last year. You don't want those guys to suddenly have a huge spike in innings, and then their arms are gone. And I realize, and I'm an old-school guy, and I look back at uh, Gaylord Perry, Phil Necro, you know, 45 starts in a season. Um things like that, well, they didn't throw nearly as hard as the guys do now. They didn't have the same wear and tear on their arms that they do now. They didn't, you know, they didn't have all the crazy pitches. Plus, some of those, and they did have, still have injuries um, to pitchers back then. They just didn't have the surgeries where those pitchers would come back uh, until Tommy John's surgery uh, first happened to a guy, um, I think his name is Tommy John. It was. Um, last topic here, and then we'll get your season predictions because it's the kickoff show for the season. Is Theo making a run at um, Commissioner? Maybe down the road. I don't know that he's ready to do it now, but I could see him a couple years down the road. I don't know how long Lanford's contract is. I know it's usually like 10 years, and I don't know where we're at in that. Um, but I could see as his starts to get to the end that that's when he speeds up to maybe set himself up to do that. And he may or may not be the right guy. I used to think that he would be. I'm not sure some of the Cub players would agree with that. 
Yes, he brought him a World Series and everything else. I don't know that Chris Bryant would be a huge fan of his. Uh, you know, that's fair. The, the timing, uh, major league time and stuff like that, losing that year. Now, fair to Theo is that's what the rules were. He knew them and he used them to do his job well. And I think that that's what he would bring and do that. He's the first one who says he helped break the game by doing all the all the numbers and everything else there. And he understands that he helped break the game, and he thinks he can help fix it, and that, that would be great also. I I think you're right on that right in that regard. I think he realizes that he was kind of an ass to Chris Bryant. But if you if you're a fan and you're bitching about service time and how it's manipulated, guess what? If you are concerned about the Cubs not spending money this year, you wouldn't have had Chris Bryant this year if he didn't play the game he did five, six years ago. Like, I think people lose sight of that a little bit. And, I mean, is that... You kind of got to look at it both ways, I guess, a little bit. Since we talked about the old GM, how do you think Jed Hoyer did in his first offseason as a Cubs general manager? Well, I think he was handed a gift when uh, Jack Peterson walked in with a basically a blank contract, reminding me of uh, Dallas Green and Andre Dawson. I heard how that story happened again this year, told basically from Dallas Green's uh, vantage point. I had not heard that before. But, I mean, given a gift to Jack Peterson, able to snag Jake Arrieta, and still keep your core of Rizzo and Bryant and Baez, Contreras, and keep them there. I, I think he's done well. And if he can still work things out with Rizzo and smooth that over and make that work well, I think that Jed could be a guy who could keep some of those other Cubs around also. That you know, We've heard Baez say he wants to stay also. I think Jed is capable of doing that. And I've heard Theo say this about Jed, that Theo and Jed, although they work together and all that, Jed was more of a people person, and Theo was more, um, as you said, more the asshole. I mean, good cop, bad cop. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how a good business works. Tell me what a successful season for the Cubs looks like before the season starts. Into the playoffs, score some runs in the playoffs. Uh, Into the playoffs, score some runs. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, to steal from George Steinbrenner, as, as he called in the whole organization at Yankees every year before the season started, he said there's only two things that matter. Winning the World Series and having the best customer service in, in baseball. We do those two things a successful year. We can go 162-0, and 0, not win the World Series, and it's not a successful season. Now, okay, if you throw that aside and say, hey, would you have been happy? Would you would you think they have done this? I'd be disappointed if the Cubs didn't make the playoffs. And I'd be disappointed if they had a playoff experience like they did last year where they couldn't score against the Marlins. If they make the playoffs and they get beat in the first round, but they scored four or five runs around and the pitching is just what didn't do it, okay, we knew the pitching, you know, was one where – when they play the teams that aren't good, is going to be really good. They might struggle once in a while against a good hitting team, 
So you're going to run into those in the playoffs. That might happen. But I, I think making the playoffs is definitely needed for it to be a successful year. Winning a round or two would make it a really good season. And obviously winning the World Series would make it a perfect season. That would be great. World Series predictions. We did it last year. Who are your ALNL representatives? Um, in the National League, um, my dream would be the Cubs. That's obvious. Yeah. But you, you got to think about the Dodgers. Obviously, they're the defending champions. And they've only added to their roster with Trevor Bauer and that. So you got to put them as the front runner. The Padres, they're going to be a fun one to watch. I'd put them as, you know, the number two team of winning the World Series. And then you got to go to the NL East before you get to the Central. In the American League, we'll go with uh, Yankees are tough. Oakland, I always, want to, I always want to throw Oakland in there, but they got to win a postseason series to, to, to get some uh, credit. The same with the Twins. The White Sox, if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said keep an eye on them. They got a chance at it with uh, Eloy going down. You know, they're going to be battling the Twins now just to win the division. The Rays, they made it to the World Series last year. And right now we don't have the extended playoffs, but is that still a possibility that could pop up during the season? If it does, it opens it up more and gives the Rays a better chance. But I, you know, I'm not going to go out on a limb very far here. We're going to see a repeat of 1981 and 1978 and whatever other years the Dodgers and Yankees met. Oh, God. Talk about chalk. I, I hate it. I know. <laughs> They, they are they are the best teams. Yeah, yeah, I can. I'll I'll agree with that. I'm gonna say, and maybe the the Jays will be fun to watch, but I'm gonna say the Padres and the Yanks. The Yanks are gonna be interesting. I got them in a fifty cent parlay. Um, which we'll talk about that 50 cent parlay that could turn into 70 bucks that I put in the day after the, the MLB odds came out. But, um, I think it'll be the pods and the Yanks. You'll get, you'll get an East Coast, West Coast matchup, which will be nice to do. We got it last year, but we didn't get it fully. I, I think it'll, I think it'll be a fun storyline sort of season. And Derek will, uh, definitely, Keep you, bring it back, and we'll talk baseball overarching and just keep doing the thing. Sound good? Sounds good. Hey, final thing here. The reason why you could pick the Padres and I can't is because you're younger than me. I remember 1984 when the Padres beat the Cubs, and anytime in, in San Diego, stealing a line from Bill Murray, I always make sure I win. That's, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> All right, we'll get you out of here. We'll talk to you next week. Sound good? All right. Thanks a lot, Nate. Yep. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Big thank you to Derek Bullman for prepping us for Cubs baseball. And we look forward to you in the next one. Now, before we take off, please like and share this podcast and subscribe. Make sure you do all that stuff so it helps us out and get it gets us off the ground. So, for Derek Bullman, I'm Nathan Church saying see you in the next one and happy baseball.